0: Before we look into the word of God, let us pray. Let us speak with our God. Heavenly Father, it is indeed a blessing that you have given us another day in which we can rejoice and be glad in you. Lord, we pray that we may indeed rejoice as we read your word together. May it indeed convict our hearts about our sin against you. And may we then turn to you in repentance and faith and with a desire to to seek you all the more in the future as a result of looking at your word together. Lord, we pray that you may be with me. May I speak what is true and in accordance with your word. And Lord, we pray that this may be a time of great blessing here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what does the rest of your life look like? When you think about what is going to happen in the future and what you think your life will look like, what does that look like to you? I remember growing up I used to think a lot about what I was going to do when I grew up and of course it usually focuses around what occupations you would have. And so when I was really young I remember thinking that I'd be a a fireman because of course then you can run red lights and that was the main reason to be a fireman. I also remember wanting to be a park ranger but when people used to ask me because I had a quite an interest in nature. When people asked me what I wanted to do, I used to say a bush ranger, because of course I used to get bush and park confused, and so I'd say I'd be a bush ranger. And so they were uh, quite tickled at the fact that they thought that meant I wanted to rob stagecoaches on horseback. There were other things that of course I wanted to do when I grew up. I used to want to be a vet, and so I actually did work experience at a a veterinarians uh, while I was at school. And then eventually I ended up uh, going to university and studying podiatry and thought that the rest of my life would be one of being a podiatrist. And then that moved to podiatric research. I would be involved in research and probably end up in Melbourne. And then, of course, my life has changed even more so that I'm not a bushranger, I'm not a fireman, I'm not a veterinarian, I'm not even a podiatrist anymore. My registration, I've let lapse. Um, my, I'm now a minister here at Drummond My life isn't what I thought it would look like. Um, from all those years growing up. I never thought I would end up here, being a minister of the gospel. What does the rest of your life look like? What are you thinking the rest of your life will be? Last week we started to look at what Peter has instruct, uh, what instructions Peter has about the Christian life and what the Christian life looks like. We started looking at chapter 4 and we looked at just verse 1. Uh, we had a break for quite some time uh, from 1 Peter and we returned to it last week with chapter 4 and we looked at verse 1 and how we are meant to arm ourselves with the same attitude of Christ, particularly when we suffer for righteousness. And so in verse 1, we read uh, the instructions from Peter there, therefore since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Peter is encouraging Christians to be done with sin, and that is why they will suffer, but they are people who are done with sin and so they're prepared to suffer for Uh, for righteousness sake. And now he's going to come out in verses 2 and following with a little bit more information about what it means to be done with sin, what it means to be someone who is no longer interested in sinning. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at verse 2 and a little bit of verse 3 as to what it means to be done with sin. And so my first main point this morning is live not for human desires. A Christian is someone Who lives not for human desires. And we read that in verse 2. It says, As a result, if you are done with sin, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. If you're a Christian, you are someone who does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. What are these evil human desires? Well, in the Greek, it's actually literally desires of men. And so the NIV has actually added a word here. It's put the word evil in front of it. And so if you look at other translations, you will see that the word evil is not there because it's literally desires of men. So what are human desires? What are desires of men? Well, human desires can include many things. We have lots of different desires. We have things like desires to eat, desires to drink, desires for sex, desires for friendships, desires for children, desires to enjoy different pleasures that we experience in this world. But aren't such desires good? If this is literally, in the Greek, just human desires, is Peter against such human desires? that we have of eating and drinking, of having friendships, of having children, those kinds of things. Is Peter telling you not to have normal human desires... No, Peter is indeed telling us not to have evil human desires and the NIV has just been trying to help us out by taking away some confusion there. Now you can judge for yourself whether the NIV is right to do that and help you out with the understanding of the text uh, by putting the word evil in there. And we know that these desires have to be evil desires because of the context of the passage. What are the human desires contrasted with in verse 2? As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires but rather for the will of God. So these have to be desires that are not in accordance with the will of God. And God's will is that you are someone who eats and drinks, he made you that you have desires for friendships, that you have desires for children. Those are good things that God has given you on your heart. And so These have to be things that are against the will of God. And we know that they have to be against the will of God because of the context as well in later verses. It actually starts to talk about these desires in other ways. It says in verse 3, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. So these are things that pagans choose to do, which of course pagans are people um, who are uh, not worshipping God. They're people of other nations, people who are outside of God's kingdom. And then there's some lists of things that are clearly human desires, but not good ones, they're evil ones that come in verse 3. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, which we'll start to look at next week, uh, what those exactly mean. So clearly here, Peter is against human desires that are indeed evil human desires, And that should be what the Christian life looks like. A people who are not embracing evil human desires. They are not people who are sinning. Sin characterizes humanity. All humans have fallen. All humans are unrighteous. And our lives are characterized by sin. Even those good desires that God has given us, like for eating and drinking and sex and friendships and having children, all those kinds of things can be tainted with sin and in fact are tainted with sin if you're not a Christian. You can be doing those things like eating and drinking and you can warp them into actual sin. You can overeat and damage your body or you can even make food into an idol, that that's all you are thinking about and you're not receiving food as a gift from God, you're actually starting to worship food. Or that can be about any friendship or even having children. You see some parents, their children are their gods. Everything is done For their children. And they've taken a good, healthy desire and warped it, twisted it, so that it actually becomes sinful. But that is not what the Christian life looks like. The Christian life is not one that is characterized by evil human desires. What are we supposed to be doing instead? Well, that brings me to my second main point live for the will of God. Christians are meant to be ones who live for the will of God. And that is in verse 2 as well. As a result, he, that's a Christian, does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. The Christian is someone who is supposed to be living for the will of God. Now the question is, what is the will of God? The will of God is actually quite a confusing matter for many Christians and one of the reasons why it's confusing is because there's two types of the will of God in the New Testament and it doesn't actually tell you each time what it means by the will of God and which type of God's will it is speaking about in the text and so each time you come to the phrase will of God or God's will you have to work out well what will of God is he speaking about what are the two wills of God well there's his hidden will his secret will That is what he desires to happen in this world, what he wills to happen. And that is unknown to us. That's why we call it the secret will of God. It's the hidden will of God because we don't know what he wants to happen, what is going to happen in the future. But that will of God is a will that is never broken. That will of God always is fulfilled. When God wills something to happen, it is done. And that is a will of God that is spoken about in the Bible. Is that what he wants you to do here? Is that what Peter is speaking about here? The will of God in the sense that he wants God's will to be done, his secret will? He wants you to do his secret will? No, you will always do his secret will. God willed that you would come to church this morning, and what? Lo and behold, you're here. You came. You can't go against God's secret will, it always is accomplished. What is the second will of God? Well, the second will of God is his revealed will. What he would have you do. And this will is not always done. This will is sometimes broken. But this is the will that is being spoken of here. This is the will of God that we know, particularly through commandments, that God gives us different commands that we should do. Now, some people think that there's a third will of God. Many Christians embrace this idea and it's been built up particularly since about the 1800s. It's come out of a pietism movement. And they think that there's this will of God, and it's a third type of will. And one way of describing it from a book that I was reading about this subject, it says that the third will of God is where God has an ideal, detailed life plan, uniquely designed for each person, which he reveals to the heart of the believer through inward impressions and outward signs. So you believe that God has this plan for your life and you've just got to work out what it is. So He's got a plan for you to marry a particular person and He's going to give you the urges if you just have enough, if you pay enough attention, you'll work out what, he, which person it is that you're meant to marry or what job you're going to take. Now it is true that God has a unique, detailed plan for your life in His secret will. What is not true is that you have to continue trying to work out what it is and if you somehow marry the wrong person, you're breaking the third will of God and you're going to be in big trouble because you've ended up marrying the wrong person and really he wanted you to marry Bob and not Steve and so it's all going pear-shaped for the rest of your life. That is not true. And so when people, Christians, seem to think that you know, oh, I've got to work out what the will of God is in my life. That's what they're often going for, is what would God have me do in this situation? And if I get it wrong, it's all going to go up the creek. Well, that's not taught in Scripture at all. You do have to worry about the will of God, because this verse makes that clear. You're meant to be living it. But it's not trying to work out what that plan is for your life. God's got it all covered. You just trust that his secret will is, is secret for a reason and that he's going to work it all out. He's in control. What you're meant to worry about is not any third will of God, but the second will of God that we've seen in Scripture, that of his commandments. You can know God's will for your life. You just have to read the book that describes it and tells you what is God's will for your life. You need to start digging into it and looking at those commands that are there in Scripture as to what he would have you do with your life. What are examples of God's will for your life? Well, the first big one is, of course, to... Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. All through the Bible, Old Testament and New, there's a call for repentance. God calls people again and again to repent of their sin. You just go through the prophets again and again. Repentance, 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 repent. A command given to people telling them that they are sinful people and they need to turn from their sin. And they need to believe in God. And in the New Testament, we see what they need to particularly believe in, and that is Jesus Christ's death for them. If you want to do the will of God, you start with repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. You want to be a Christian? You want to be someone whose life is what God describes it should be here as someone who does the will of God? Will start with repentance and trust that Jesus died for you. What other commands are there in Scripture? What other aspects of God's revealed will are there? Well, there's many. You just go through the New Testament and look at every imperative, every command that is given, and that is God's will for your life. Example, the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things are God's will for your life. And I actually, uh, it's a very good place to start with the fruit of the Spirit, of trying to learn those things and then do them. I actually know two members in our church at the moment who are trying to memorise the fruit of the Spirit. They're keeping one another accountable and trying to memorise that verse together. And that's an excellent idea. It's something that I would encourage many more of you to try and do if you don't already know them off by heart. It's because when you memorise something like that, you're showing that you know that you need to know the will of God if you're going to do the will of God. You can't do the will of God if you don't know the will of God. How do you know the will of God? You look in the scripture. And you look at things like the fruit of the spirit. And then how do you remember what God's will is? Well, you commit such verses to memory so that when you come across something that you're supposed to be doing, when you're wanting to hate someone and you know, oh no, I'm not supposed to hate people, I'm supposed to love people. That's what a fruit of the Spirit is, it's love. And so then you start to do God's will. It's also interesting here this morning, That there's no third option. You're meant to do two things. My two main points, my first two main points this morning is that you're not, you're just to live not for human desires. And my second was you live for the will of God. There's no other option here. It doesn't say that there's a grey option. There are only two ways to live. There's no middle ground here. I sometimes get accused of being too black and white. That I'm always, something is black. Or it's white. And I actually take that as a compliment because I believe that God is black and white. He either sees righteous or unrighteous. He doesn't have here in this text, as a result, the Christian, he, does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires but rather for the will of God and grey things, neutral things. It's either you're doing evil human desires or you're doing the will of God. And so you need to be doing one of those you need to be doing the will of God. You need to be excluding evil human desires from your life. You're meant to be doing what is righteous and not what is unrighteous. That's what your life should look like. But how long are you meant to live for God's will? How long? So just this year, this month, this week, this day? Maybe just this morning, and you've only got an hour and ten minutes left of it, that you have to live for God's will. What does Peter say in this text? How long you're supposed to live for God's will. Verse 2, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. My third main point this morning is live for the will of God for the rest of your life. Your life stretches out before you and God wants you to live for his will all the time that you're on earth. It's literally all the time in the flesh, time in the flesh. While ever you're in the body that you're in, you're meant to be living for God's will. Well, then you might say, well, what about in heaven? Does God want you to do his will there? It seems very specific here. It's just saying while you're in the flesh. Yes, you will do God's will in heaven. God wants you to do his will in heaven. In fact, when you get to heaven, you won't need to have this command because you won't be able to do anything else. When you get to heaven, it will be wonderful because we will do God's will all the time. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the standard we're going for. Because in heaven, God's will is always done. Both his hidden will and his revealed will. You will be doing God's will in heaven. And that's a wonderful truth. It'll be wonderful there. Imagine that you will have no more evil human desires. You won't be able to sin. It will be impossible to sin. It's actually going to be better in heaven than it was for Adam and Eve in the garden. Sometimes we talk about the Garden of Eden as a place that we want to return to. No, I don't want to go back to the Garden of Eden because what happened in the Garden of Eden? People sinned, Eve and Adam sinned there and Satan was hanging around as a snake. I don't want to be there, I want to be in heaven where there's no possibility of me eating something that I shouldn't be eating. And that's what heaven will be like, it'll be impossible to sin in heaven. So Peter doesn't need to command you to do God's will the rest of your earthly life and heavenly life because the heavenly life is taken care of. You don't need to worry about that. What do you need to worry about? You need to worry about the rest of your earthly life because it is still possible for you to sin in this world. It is still in your heart that you have evil human desires and you may act upon those evil human desires. So no matter how much more time you have left in this world, you must use your time for God's will. Now, some of you, of course, odds are, have more time than others. But whatever time you have left, you must make the use of that time for God's will. If you're elderly, if you're an older person, and probably don't have much more time in comparison to some of the younger people in this church, don't fritter away that time. Make the most of it. People are prone to different sins at different stages in their lives. And there are old people's sins. There are elderly sins. People, when you're in your old age, you're prone to different sins in different ways. Things like grumbling. There are so many things to grumble about when you get older in life. And one of those things can be about things in the past. that The days in the past were better. I love the text in Ecclesiastes seven, ten. I haven't been able to apply it too much to my life because I'm still fairly young. But Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse ten says, Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. And I see that in my heart already that I say, Oh, I remember when Chocolates. well, you could buy a block of Cadbury dairy milk for $2. Whereas now, that chance of that happening, even on sale, it really is depressing that you can't get chocolate for as cheap as it used to be. But you're not supposed to be grumbling about the fact that times have changed. It's very easy to do that, and your bodies change as you get older. I remember I used to be able to eat whatever I wanted all day long. Now I get heartburn of an evening. My body has changed, and that's annoying. And I can grumble about that, but I shouldn't. As you get older, it's easier and easier to grumble about things, even lack of money. As you get older, you don't have as much money. You lack the friends that you used to have because many of them have, what do you say, fallen off the perch? Put it nicely. There are are people who you used to love and know, and now they've gone to glory. And that can be very depressing. It is depressing. There's a temptation to grumble. But even as a younger adult, you can be prone to certain sins as well. You've got to make the most of your time as a younger person as well. You have greater freedom when you're a younger person to do many things that older people can't do. Physically, you're often a lot better off. And so you can do things, hard things for God, physically that older people can't. Economically, you have much more money around that you can then use for God's benefit. Emotionally, you're able to withstand attacks better. You're able to do really hard things for God's glory. Make sure that you are, that you're doing God's will. Use those blessings that he has given you for his will and not for evil human desires. And if you're a child... Parents, maybe nudge the kids that I'm actually going to talk to them for a second. Children of the church, you have a lot of time ahead of you. Boys on sound, you have a lot of time ahead of you. You may think that because you have so much time ahead of you in life, you can waste it. You can use it on other things because... You've got so much of it. Don't do that. Don't waste your time. Use it for God's will, as it says here in the text. As a result, a Christian is not someone who lives the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. I remember being a child. It's easy to get into mischief because you have so much time. You come home from school. What are you going to do after school? You have some homework to do maybe. But homework, how long does that actually take? You can sit around and you can get up to mischief. You can cause fights with your sister or your brother. I used to do it all the time. One of the main reasons I think I fought with my sister is because I was bored. It was entertainment. But that is sin. That is a sinful, evil human desire. Don't do it. You have so much time ahead of you. Use it for God's will and not for your evil human desires. What can you do in that time when you come home from school or on a weekend when you seem like you don't know what to do? Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in reading the Bible. Read some Christian books. There's lots of great children's books that have got good Christian morals through them as well. I read them as a kid and I can recommend some to you. Those kinds of things can encourage you to continue being a Christian and soldiering on for God, I encourage you to do so. But it's hard work, I know, doing God's will. What can motivate you to do God's will? What can motivate you to use your time for God's will? That brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Live for the will of God because you have wasted enough time already. You've wasted enough time. And Peter says this in verse 3. He says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. You've spent enough time satisfying those evil human desires. You just need to consider how much time you've wasted following evil human desires. What a waste of time. What lost time. Just consider that a second spent in sin is a second wasted. You never get that second back. Just consider a minute or even ten minutes, an hour that you've spent in sin. It's wasted time, lost time. It's time that you've spent doing what pagans choose to do. Does it grieve you to think about how much time you've wasted in sin in your life? It should. Satisfying your own desires rather than God's desires? It should upset you. And I would encourage you, if you feel such grief, let it upset you. And then let it motivate you to repentance and hard work for the will of God in the time you have left. That's what Peter is getting at here. He wants you to consider, for you have spent enough time. That's it, you should be saying. That was wasted time that I satisfied evil human desires. I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to make the most of my time and use it for God's glory. John Calvin, the great reformer, says, I don't usually quote from people in the pulpit, but uh, it was just too good to leave out. John Calvin says that the memory of our past life ought to be the sharpest goad. Oh, does everyone know what a goad is? A goad is what, um, it's like a pointed stick that you stick into cows to make a move. Before, I guess, they had whips. Well, the Australian equivalent of a whip. Okay, so consider a whip here. Calvin says that the memory of our past life ought to be the sharpest whip to make us run on well when we recollect that we have been wandering from the right way the greatest part of our life. You should consider how much time you've wasted in sin and then say, no more. I'm not wasting time in sin. I've spent enough time doing what pagans choose to do. I'm going to choose to do what God wills for my life. So, what does the rest of your life look like? What have you got planned for the rest of your life? A career change? I've had a few career changes. I mean, yes, I've only really had a couple of careers, I guess. If you conclude working at Target part time, a career. I've had a few careers. I've had a few ideas as to what I'd like to do for a career. They've changed. What are you considering doing for the rest of your life? Is your life going to be one that is described here by Peter as one who does not live the rest of your earthly life for evil human desires but rather for the will of God? For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. That is what your life should look like. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in grief knowing how much time we have spent in sin, how much time we have spent following evil human desires rather than doing God's will. Lord, we pray that you may make your will known to us. May we dig deep into your word to see what you would have us do with our lives. And we pray that we may indeed do God's will because we recognize that we have spent enough time doing what pagans choose to do and that this has got to stop. And Lord, we pray that our lives may indeed be ones that are ones that are filled with the will of God until we reach heaven where it will be impossible for us to follow evil human desires any longer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.